I'm Ray Ray. And I'm David Bam. And we have another guest with us via Google Meet. His name is Jacob Tanner. How you doing tonight, sir? Doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate yes, it. Yes, and all the way from Pennsylvania. So this is this is a far flung conversation tonight. Thank you um, for uh, staying up an extra hour for us. Yes, tonight. <laughs> really appreciate that. And you've got all that snow you said. So we we don't yeah. have snow here in Missouri in Springfield, Missouri. We are uh, absent <laughs> snow. So we Jacob, have fourteen inches. Yeah. Oh goodness, fourteen. We've had like maybe three this whole. Time. Yeah, and it's been <laughs> weak, really weak here in the snow business for sure. Well, Jacob, uh, I, I want to kind of set you up here just a little bit. I am so fortunate yeah. to get to teach at Spurgeon College in Kansas City. I'm blessed with the opportunity to teach public speaking. I'm blessed with the opportunity to teach logic, mm-hmm. also communication theory, and advanced public speaking. And uh, I was so fortunate to get to have Jacob as a student, and he did just an amazing job, and I wanted to make sure that I uh, did the best that I could to make things that avail- available to others that actually instructed me and encouraged me. And so, Jacob, that is how I met him. I just introduced him to Adam just a few minutes ago, but Jacob, mm-hmm. just uh, I know I said there, I've now taken a little bit of thunder from you. You're a student <laughs> of sorts. So, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you are, and we did tell everyone where you are by the way sure yeah. sure. sure uh so i am yes a student at midwestern i'm actually in the accelerate mdiv program right now and really enjoying my studies there and as you said you were my professor last semester at the tail end there and really enjoyed that class so if anybody's watching this and hasn't taken your class through that would highly recommend that Thank you. but yeah also I'm also a pastor in central Pennsylvania. So the name of my church is Mount Bethel Church of McClure. Mm. We post our sermons online if anybody would be interested in checking out any of that. I am also co-chair of the Central Pennsylvania Reformation Society. So we're looking to spread you know, the Reformation yeah. to our area. And I also host and am founder of the Sound of Truth podcast. And very much the same goal there. Our emphasis is to spread the gospel and to train up others to be able to do the same thing. So we have a real emphasis right now on really spreading the Reformation, but also spreading the 1689 London Baptist Confession. We're actually going through that weekly on Thursday nights, if anybody would be interested in that. And we actually have a lot of Presbyterians that are watching, and they're enjoying making fun of us and saying that (laughs) it's just a ripoff of the Westminster. But if anybody would like to watch that, we would love to have you. And again, I just appreciate being here tonight. Yeah, and this uh, just 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 an as, as, aside, I'm in a conversation right now, you know, and I just I I can't uh, define Christianity, you know, and uh, you know, like we're all just uh, at war with each other all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think what you just said, Westminster folks, or, you just ripped us off. Hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it is. We can come together. Maybe we can define Christianity. So thank you uh, for just uh, helping me out there. <laughs> Adam has an ongoing go. feud with an individual for yeah. ever since I've known him, and probably before that. Uh, and 
it always circles back in many ways to there's no definition of Christianity, but uh, what yeah. we will really enjoy, gotcha. and maybe in a future program, we'll have you come in and do a little bit of speaking maybe on uh, the 1689, which we are always grateful to yeah, talk sure. about. Uh, in our public debates, we have always said on our website, we're 1689 folks. So mm-hmm. that is very much uh, central to who we are and even how we got started. Yeah. But with that yeah. said, uh, we want to talk tonight about church history and about young earth creationism Mm -hmm. uh the discussion often about church history is void of even a discussion about uh young earth creationism young earth creationism is often void of a discussion about church history so Mm -hmm. why is if we're sola scriptura christians a good starting point for us uh at least to uh begin this discussion is church history a good place for us to begin or or why is church history even a reference place for us well, I think you just hit something on the head there, and it's something that I tell my congregation often. We believe in sola scriptura, which is mm-hmm. scripture alone. Scripture alone is our sole source of authority, but that is different than saying that we believe in sole scriptura or scripture yeah. only. Hmm. So that that's also not, let me make sure that we understand what I am saying and what I'm not saying here. I am not saying that the writings of church history are anywhere near on par with the writing of scripture. Scripture itself is inspired. It is authoritative. It is our standard for how to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. It leads us to the gospel. But we do have 2,000 years of church history that we can draw on. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what I have found to be incredibly helpful for myself is that a lot of those guys first of all, are way smarter than I am. But secondly, they've asked the questions that I'm often asking, the things that I'm often trying to figure out. They've already asked and they've already answered. And so there's a lot of benefit, I think, in being able to go back to even the reformers, right? Go back to somebody like Martin Luther and you see him struggling and wrestling with the question of how is a man justified Mm -hmm. before God? And in fact, it was Martin Luther and reading his writings that got me into the Reformers, then the Puritans, then the Church Fathers. And what I found with the Church Fathers is that, amazingly enough, you know, 2,000 years ago, they're asking the same questions. They're wondering the same things, and they're giving fantastic answers to those questions. But one of the things I think that I've learned to love about the Church Fathers, I've been reading them now for probably about seven years or so, and studying them more seriously for about four years. One of the things that I've really learned to love about them is they're not afraid of the mysterious. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not mystics, not all of them anyway, but they're not afraid of mysterious things. So if there's a question and they don't feel like scripture has answered it, they're okay with that. They're okay with the mysterious. But where scripture has clearly spoken they will clearly speak as well. So one of the things I like to tell my church and I tell people all the time, we can draw on church history. We can draw on the teachings of the Christians of the past as so far as they agree with scripture. Mm -hmm. And when they don't agree with scripture, well, we just find out something else that we can avoid, something not to teach, something not to hold to. So I think there's a lot of benefit going back to church history and the church fathers in particular. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you uh, just had the awesome opportunity of hanging out with Vadi Bakum. Um, That's right. Yeah. And, you know, just, just to, again, just to throw it out to the viewers, 
this book right here, Expository <laughs> Apologetics, right? Um, so Amen. really, this is kind of what you're digging into um, right mm-hmm. now. You've read the book, I'm sure, Expository yeah, Apologetics. Yeah. It's a very good, uh, different perspective of the same issue of presuppositions of um, covenantal apologetics as uh, Scott Oliphant would talk about. It's all, it's all in the same thing, but it's a different perspective whenever Mm -hmm. we're saying on how to use the creeds, the confessions, uh, history. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like expository, expositing scripture and showing through history we're not like being weird and esoteric when we come up with stuff. And I think that's definitely a point in the book that body Baca makes is just the, the nature of things that we believe now, especially regarding this topic, you know, young earth creationism, we're not, we're not going well now that we have science on our side. um, Now we're young earth or old earth or whatever. This is something that's been recognized um, throughout history and we can show it. So again, like you said, we're not appealing to it for authority. But we're right, showing, right. you know, we're not weird, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, and we're not the only ones. And it's not just to our time. So this is a universal thing we're we are showing. And so, you know, I appreciate it. Um, the way that I found out about you again was through Dave. He sends uh, me this uh this article and we will end up putting it up on our website um, Uh, for you and everything. And I hope that people go and, and enjoy and read it and that it edifies them. It's because it's clear and concise. It's quick as well um, to read. So, and and get the juices flowing. Um, But yeah, I think uh, that's how I come to know you. I read it. It's really awesome. Like I said, uh, the conciseness. And so I appreciate uh, you coming in and, Again, fresh, fresh of hanging out with Vadi Bakum <laughs> on this issue, and so right. um, whenever we're thinking about history, um, we we've kind of hit that. Um, but let's think about this history, and let's go, let's dig a little bit deeper in here. Whenever we think about history, and like I just said, we is it now that we have science on our side that we we take this position. Or is there more? And that causes me to back up just a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love the appeal to church history. Uh, always doing the best I can to learn more and learn more. I, I love White's teaching uh, at his old right. uh, old church on church history. I've listened to that, those lectures all the way through. Um, not all the way through more than once, but all the way through. And many of them more than once. But it causes me to think, okay... Yes, young earth creation, great. I'm for it. The Bible teaches it. Church fathers taught it, but but didn't they have a limited view of history? I mean, some of them thought the world, uh, of course, was uh, being uh, that the sun was uh, ro- was going around the world. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, they thought that the earth was flat. They had a three-dimensional universe. Like, why are these guys even worth looking at? Why should we trust them since they had such a limited view of science? Does that make sense? That does. Um, so, one of the, I think, presuppositions that people make about if I could use this term, the ancient peoples, mm-hmm. is that they had a limited view of science when in reality they didn't. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They lack some clarity on things that we have clarity on, but they did not lack scientific understanding. So I've heard it put this way before that history is the march of progress. And mm-hmm. there there's a particular truth to that, especially applied to scientific progress. But we need to be careful how we understand that. So 2,000 years ago, for example, I have a a smartphone here right now. 
Augustine didn't have a smartphone, right? Justin Martyr didn't have a smartphone. So they couldn't just go Google things. But can you imagine if they had one, they'd probably be still way more productive than we are today. Yet nonetheless, they lacked that. They did not have that particular invention. So they didn't have access to certain science that we have access to. They didn't have access to certain knowledge that we have access to. But my point is that what we have today are different scientific advancements than they did. And we know different things than they did. But I'm careful not to say that we know more than they did because mm. you guys know this to be true. Spend any time with Augustine, Athanasius, and you're going to think, these guys are geniuses, and I'm basically in kindergarten over here. These yeah. guys know an amazing amount of things. So one of the things that really kind of frustrates me today is that the idea or the concept of ignorance has turned into an insult, right? It's mm. insulting to say to somebody that they're ignorant about something. But being ignorant of something actually does not equate an insult. It does not make somebody worthless. So they were ignorant of certain things that we understand today in the same way that I'm ignorant of how you fly a plane. That doesn't mean that I'm stupid. It just means that you don't want me, you know, flying your plane for you. You don't want me piloting for you. So they lacked understanding that we have today, but they weren't stupid. They didn't lack science. You read Augustine and you'll see that he quotes Plato a ton. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what science is still drawing on today? Plato. Yeah. So the guy knew his stuff or we think of the church fathers as being those esoteric philosophers out in the desert. But look at any modern day philosopher. Look at your sort of Rene Descartes. Yes, he was a philosopher. I think, therefore, I am. But the same dude was the same guy who ended up contributing immensely to algebra, to geometry. So these guys knew stuff. The church fathers in particular weren't dumb. And though they lack certain information that we have today, they were not not scientific. They were very scientific. They weren't just cavemen beating sticks, right? Trying yeah. to make fire. These guys knew stuff. And scripture tells us that the ancient world possessed knowledge even before the church fathers. So I'm thinking particularly of Daniel, right? In mm -hmm. Babylon. He's a wise man. He's with other wise men. We read about wise men that come to Jesus who were studying astrology. They were studying the stars. We read in Acts chapter 17 of those on Mars Hill, the Athenians who were obsessed with learning new things. So these were intelligent men, intelligent people in, in general. We may possess different information than they do. They may have been ignorant in certain areas that we are not, but there's still a ton that we can learn from them because we're ignorant in certain areas that they had a lot of information in. So there's mm -hmm. great benefits in studying them, despite the fact that we've had scientific advancements they did not have. Yeah. So, um, you know, with that said, then, if they were scientific at the time, and, and I, I, they were, we have to really understand Plato was like mm -hmm. 400 years before Jesus, right? Like four, right. Trying, trying to think, it's 400, and then you have Aristotle. Yeah. Um, you know, let, let's just put it in perspective here. Aristotle is the, I'm going to, John Locke was the tabula rasa guy. He got it straight from Aristotle. Thought hasn't right. changed, <laughs> you know? So philosophically, um, if you really, really dig philosophically, we are no different than our ancestors here. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, if our philosophy hasn't changed, our science hasn't really changed. Unfortunately, I mean, so, I mean, like you said, it's all about presuppositions. So, um, you know, when it, when it comes to these things and for some reason, there's definitely, let me take a pause here. There's an audio thing going on. 
and it went away <laughs> and it went away there's there's little uh, things here and there but anyway with that with that said the sure. philosophy hasn't changed therefore science really hasn't changed now we might have changed the language yes we've come to better understandings or whatnot but we dig through philosophy is philosophy epicurus as greg bonson has said is the patron saint of today right and Amen. if you really think about that it's true um it and so you know um I know I don't, I don't want to skip ahead too no, no, far go before I, here. I just realized some yeah. of my questions were yeah. not put in the greatest order, Jacob. <laughs> so you have to forgive me on that. And I threw yeah. Adam for a loop on it. I, I really think that you've laid a really good foundation for us. I, uh -huh. I mean, from a historical level that guess what? These weren't a bunch of ignorant guys who were rubbing sticks together and living in caves, right? That's an important thing. And incredibly wise individuals and who uh, were able to have all kinds of fa facts and figures and things memorized and able to recall things. I mean, you think about the average person in the ancient world being able to res recite, right? The Iliad and the Odyssey as they're sitting around a campfire, right? Like nobody, I don't know anyone who could recite from memory that that much content and as adam begins to get tired because he's reciting then i just stand up and pick right up i mean that's actually a historical fact that's what we have that's how we have the iliad and the odyssey i mean even again going to the muslim world those folks were reciting the quran like mm -hmm. they had it memorized you know uh and so these are we're, we're not talking just about oh these christians were empowered with this special ability like no no across the historical ancient world there was a knowledge, there was a wisdom that wasn't right. just a, a literary wisdom, it was also scientific wisdom. So bring me, if you will, just a, a few little pieces of uh, maybe direct evidence uh, about yeah. some statements from a few different church fathers and mm -hmm. maybe uh, allow us to interact with those just a little bit, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. So I actually keep these like in my pocket, so I'm always ready to go. And I've got nice. these. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do have a couple of quotes that I picked out, particularly for this. And you guys are probably familiar with some of these already. Maybe some of the listeners are as well. But I'm going to touch on just a couple of church fathers. I'm going to try and stick to the more popular ones. And then we're going to get to one, Theophilus, who I think is going to yeah. be the most excellent one for us to look into. But Augustine, we'll start with him. And the reason I'm going to start with Augustine is because, as you guys know, he went back and forth on the issue of the day problem in Genesis. How long is the day? Is it a 24-hour period? Or he would say creation happened instantaneously. What's interesting, though, about Augustine is that though he has that debate going on, he never once argues for an old earth. He actually argues against an old earth consistently mm -hmm. across the board. So. The first quote I want to use, and this is a pretty lengthy one, but I think it's an important one. This is taken from his book, The Literal Meaning of Genesis, which, by the way, is pretty telling in itself, right? Yeah, the yeah. literal meaning of Genesis. So this is what Augustine writes. I quote, for through wisdom, all things were made. Wisdom, by the way, is reference to the word, the logos, God there. So through wisdom, all things were made and the motion we now see in creatures measured by the lapse of time as each one fulfills its proper function comes to creatures from those causal, causal reactions implanted in them, which God scattered as seeds at the moment of creation when he spoke and they were made. He commanded and they were created. Creation, therefore, did not take place slowly. So he's talking there like thousands of years. Creation did not take place slowly in order that a slow development, 
might be implanted in those things that are slow by nature, nor were the ages established at a plodding pace at which they now pass. Time brings about the development of these creatures according to the laws of their numbers, but there was no passage of time when they received these laws at creation. So mm. with that quote, and that's the end of it, by the way, you can see Augustine is still wavering at that point about how long is a day? When does time actually start? Does it start on the third day? Does it start here? Does it start there? But his main emphasis and point in that entire quote was that it did not take God thousands of years to create yeah. everything, as some would argue. It didn't take God millions of years. It was not theistic evolution, right? It yeah. wasn't that God just created things and then said, well, hands off, good luck. No, it was very hands-on. God created things purposefully. So let me continue on into this quote from Augustine. And this is taken from the city of God, probably next to the confessions, his most famous work. He flat out rejects, by the way, here, people who speak of an old earth in his day. And here's what he writes. He almost writes like Luther. If you're familiar with Luther at all, like that sarcasms. Yeah. His sarcasms (laughs) almost here. Yeah. But he writes in this book, I shall not dwell then on the conjectures of men who know not what they say concerning the nature and origin of the human race. There are, for example, those who hold the opinion that men, like the universe, have always existed. But suppose the following questions are put to these men. If the human race has always existed, how, then, do you vindicate the truth of your own history, which records the names of inventors and what they invented, the first founders of liberal education, and of other arts, the first inhabitants of this or that region and of this or that island. They will answer that at certain intervals of time, most of the land was so devastated by floods and fire that the human race was greatly reduced in size and that from this small number, the former population was again restored and that thus at intervals, there was a new discovery and organization of all these things or rather a restoration of what had been damaged or destroyed by the great devastations and that in any case, Men could simply not exist unless they were produced from man. Of course, all this, now listen, this is the most important Mm. part here. All this is opinion, Mm. not science. Amen. So Augustine got it. Augustine got it, you know, 1500 years ago. Whereas we're still, you know, playing with sandcastles over here with Darwinianism and all these other things. Augustine got it right. That's opinion. Mm -hmm. That's not science. What science is, is based off of scripture. So if it denies scripture, it's not science, it's opinion. If you guys don't mind, I got two more here. Oh no, go for it, go for it. I want you to, I I want this evidence to be out there. Yeah, yeah. All right, awesome. So I'm going to keep on going. Athanasius is another one, I think probably next to Augustine, probably just as famous. And this is from his work on the incarnation. So his famous work here, he opens the book by talking about creation. And the first thing he does is he rejects the old earth position of the Gnostics and he rejects the old earth position of the Platonists and so on. He's rejecting Mm -hmm. a lot of things here, but this is what he says. He says the impiety of their foolish talk, those old earthers, the impiety of their foolish talk is plainly declared by the divine teaching of the Christian faith. From it, we know that because there is mind behind the universe, it did not originate itself. Because God is infinite, not finite, it was not made from pre-existent matter, but out of nothing and out of non-existence, absolute and utter God brought it into being through the word. 
He says as much in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. And again, through that most helpful book, The Shepherd, which is a book from back in that same period, Mm -hmm. believe thou first and foremost that there is one God who created and arranged all things and brought them out of non-existence into being. So he continues. Paul also indicates the same thing when he says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which we see now did not come into being out of things which had previously appeared. Mm. That's Hebrews 11.3. And yes, he, was, yes he, he believed Paul wrote that there. But nonetheless, yes, writer of Hebrews <laughs> says that. He continues on. For God is good or rather of all goodness. He is fountainhead. And it is impossible for one who is good to be mean or grudging about anything. Grudging existence to none, therefore, he made all things out of nothing through his own word, our Lord Jesus Christ. And of all these, his earthly creatures, he reserved a special mercy for the race of men. So Mm -hmm. there, Athanasius is getting pretty theological there, but... Mm -hmm. Anybody listening to this, please read the rest of the book because it is awesome. But right there, we see him affirming God created everything. The earth has not always existed. People have not always existed. It didn't come out of matter that always existed. You know, that's that's what you get with the Big Bang Theory today, right? There's at least something that has to create something else. But here he's saying, nope, God created everything out of nothing. But usually what people want is they want like a crystal clear example. Was there any church father who specifically said the earth is young? And a lot of people would, you know, sort of bucket that and go, no, no, there's, there's really not. There is. There actually is. You All just right. have to look for it. Go. So Theophilus was another relatively well-known church father. Mm-hmm. And maybe you guys have heard this before, but I'm going to quote Theophilus here. I'm just going to let his words speak for himself. Right. And this is what he says. My purpose is not to furnish mere matter of much talk, but to throw light upon the number of years from the foundation of the world and to condemn the empty labor and trifling of these authors because there have neither been 20,000 times 10,000 years from the flood to the present time, as Plato said, affirming that there had been so many years, nor yet 15 times 10,375 years, as we have already mentioned from Apollonius, the Egyptian who gave that out, nor is the world uncreated, nor is there a spontaneous production of all things. Big bang again, by the way, Mm. as Pythagoras and the rest dreamed, but being indeed created, it is also governed by the providence of God who made all things and the whole course of time and the years are made plain to those who wish to obey the truth. Mm. Less than I seem to have made things plain up to the time of Cyrus and to neglect the subsequent periods as if through an ability to exhibit them, I will endeavor by God's help to give an account according to my ability of the course of the subsequent times. So I'm going to skip a chapter in this book here that he wrote. This is, by the way, his book number three, Theophilus book three. Mm. He goes on to chapter 28, and this is what he says. From the foundation of the world, the whole time is thus traced so far as its main epochs are concerned. From the creation of the world to the deluge, that is the flood, were 2,242 years. From the deluge to the time when Abraham, our forefather, begot a son, 1,036 years. From Isaac, Abraham's son, to the time when the people dwelt with Moses in the desert, 660 years. From the time of the death of Moses and the rule of Joshua, the son of Nun, 
to the death of the patriarch David, 498 years. From the death of David and the reign of Solomon to the sojourning of the people in the land of Babylon, 518 years, six months, 10 days. From the government of Cyrus to the death of the emperor Aurelius Verus, 744 years. All the years from the creation of the world amount to a total of 5,698 years and the odd months and days. Hmm. So he's writing pretty early on there, but he traces scripture back. He took scripture seriously enough that he said, hmm. you know what? These genealogies matter. The timing of these genealogies matters. And we can use this to trace back how old the earth is. And he also adds in there, by the way, maybe we're missing some people. Maybe we're missing some dates. So he does allow for the possibility of it being slightly older. But he holds to a high view of scripture, and so he makes this case. And this is the same reasoning, then, that is most recently used by guys like Dr. Floyd Jones in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. and probably more famous than that is James Usher in the 1600s. He makes the same case from scripture. So mm -hmm. that's just a few. We could look at St. Basil. We yeah. could look at a lot more, but I'm going to pause there because yeah. that's a lot to yeah. chew on. So again, uh, we're, we're back to that. This isn't esoteric. You know, there, there are people that have been talking about this and here's, here's where the argument breaks down. You're like, I want, I want people to say young earth. I want, uh, that's anachronistic. Mm. But now what we have here is, okay, well, let's see something that looks like young earth, right? To you, young earth, but you know, maybe there was, again, this is times before Darwin even shows up, uh, probably right. the term evolution and evolution being connected to what it means today. You can't look at history like that. That's just not treating it fairly at all. But what we have here is really good argumentation that looks like exactly what we're saying today and we would label ourselves now new well, and I, young earthers so i like how yeah. you say that adam and 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 jacob i think that that's a really well that's actually a discussion that probably needs to occur more yeah young earth is actually uh, not the best way to put that it is very anachronistic we need to have a biblical perspective on creation history and that's right. actually something that we probably need to reclaim uh very clearly no no there is a biblical perspective on creation history we yeah. advocate for the biblical perspective on creation history yes. not the young earth perspective and right. then what you do is again you put the burden on those who would reject that and that's a pretty big piece that I actually think we need to stick to. Now, I don't believe that this is a primary doctrine by any means, and I think that we right. make an error when we do that. Uh, I like what you, you said there with Theophilus, that he laid, uh, he allowed there to be maybe a few names that were missing from the specificity of that, and I always remind myself that very much according to the 1978 Chicago Statement, that just because Scripture is vague or unclear, it does not mean that it is false. Yeah. And so I don't think that we're wrong to allow for some uh, someone's name to have been skipped in, and intentionally so because of the role that was played in redemptive history because again so much the biblical theology that we want to uh, affirm is uh, essentially a tale of redemptive history. Yeah, and so that leads Absolutely. us to you know, um, you know, presuppositionalism. Um, do you believe it's true? Or like, if you're just basing your faith on evidence, this is why evidentialism breaks down. This is why a classical 
breaks down because we're looking for the evidence and you're going to be scaling either way like okay well here today i feel good because hey i just heard some uh church history quotes and then mm. tomorrow you're going to read a dawkins book and be like oh crap never mind <laughs> that's you know it's, it's not about you right. <laughs> it's not about it's about what god has said Amen. and we need to stop acting like it's about us and then if your faith is hinged on that again then you're not even being biblical because by faith and it's not a blind faith did you hear all that covenantal language that was used in that last quote it was by covenants the years of those times where god condescended and made a covenant an important covenant that got you to who you are and where you are now that's how we measure time god's day <laughs> so you know so that that's, that's the wonderful thing so you know that that gets into where um you backed up and now we're back where i was <laughs> heading earlier um so we're, we're really oh i guess we could go there <laughs> really if uh, where we get to get away but i think uh, what we can do is flip this one on yeah, its yeah. head here is uh this is not a science issue this is a worldview issue what do you think about something like that you know like i think we've really yeah. made it clear um this again is not a scientific issue yeah so even just touching on that though briefly yeah it absolutely is a worldview issue and here's why everybody's presupposing something mm -hmm. even if they don't want to admit it absolutely everybody presupposes something so look at something like the darwin theory of evolution that presupposes no god big bang old earth took millions of years for everything to evolve to where it is we're also presupposing something but our presuppositions are based off of scripture yeah and that's the only sole authority that we have right that goes back to what we talked about earlier sola scriptura we have a presupposition that is perfect and true and we shouldn't be ashamed of that we're basing what we believe off of scripture now when you bring your worldview to science what happens is if your worldview is based off of scripture then you're not the enemy of Christianity at all by performing science. And when you tackle science then with a worldview that there is no God, earth is old, evolution's true, then it becomes the enemy of scripture because you're presupposing the wrong thing. And in, in effect, you become the enemy of God. So it's absolutely a worldview issue. And even to touch just briefly on that, if you look at the science behind why people believe the earth is old or why people believe in evolution or why people believe in a big bang theory the science is faulty i mm -hmm. mean there's there's nothing behind it that's really solid or concrete and people just don't they don't recognize this one of my favorite examples to use here is i was so i was born in 94 and i think it was probably 2000 2001 i started hearing about the gay gene you guys ever remember hearing about that that there was the the gay gene that they had scientists had discovered it and this proved that people were born this way right they were born mm. gay well oh, okay more that, research was gene. done yes more research was done and they found out there's there's no corroborate there, there's nothing there yeah. that solidifies that and yet we're in 20 we're in 2021 sorry i got confused there for a second 2021 20 yeah yeah and people are still saying well no there's a gay gene that has been fundamentally proven to be demonstrably untrue that's yeah. not true but and people a, still hold to it Why? yeah and that's, a, and that's an exposure yeah and that's mm -hmm. definitely like you said that that exposes it because it has to be that if you right. are 
a materialist and naturalist, you have to have something literally material doing something because all you right. are are just a you're you're just a again you're just a random manifestation that the uh, of the suit that you came out of yeah and so it's yeah. only material so if you act a certain way which then again you can't get out of the material determinism yeah. so then you can't and then this is where you get down and i mean i can i can go all the way down and just hit bonson here if naturalism mm -hmm. is true you can't know it exactly so exactly i want to kind of interject here because mm -hmm. you got me thinking a little bit about my graduate program at missouri state and, and i don't know uh, when I was at Midwestern, for my degree, we did not have to read uh, Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. But are you familiar with that book? Vaguely, uh, I haven't read it. It's about paradigm shifts. And one of the things that Kuhn argues all the way back in 1962 is he says, look, scientific the theory changes don't occur because everyone keeps trying to affirm that theory that they like. And so what has to happen is you can't overturn a theory. You have to flip the paradigm. Mm -hmm. And he says, it doesn't happen hardly at all in the sciences. And see what you have here, and this is what so many people don't, do not even begin to wrestle with, and you just exposed it, both of you, very clearly. We can have a billion pieces of evidence that says one thing is true, and another thing is, is untrue, right? Or the same thing, you know, another thing is untrue. But guess what? As long as I'm building everything on the structure of my theory, I begin to only see my theory as true. It, you know, and, and again, that's such a, a beautiful picture of why worldviews matter, mm -hmm. uh, why worldview wars, wars but worldviews have to occur. And I, I loved how White said that just a few days ago on the, on the dividing line. I was like, dude, that's right. Worldviews need to go to war because this is the worldview that is true and it will win. And uh, Adam and I have very much talked about how we, we want to destroy arguments. That's one of our, one of our <laughs> yeah. things. We, we think yeah. that that's a great yeah, piece. Yeah. That's our, I don't even know if you can see it in the background. Yeah, it is. We destroy arguments. Uh, Ooh, but, which uh, way? There it is. Yeah, that, that, that's that's uh, the Christian's calling. It's yeah. right there. I can't even uh, point at it. So without, <laughs> uh, I, I hope I didn't just take you guys way off task, but yeah. that brings me to that concept. When did the church decide to take an exodus from the biblical view, and I'm not going to call it the young earth view anymore. Yeah. I'm going to do everything I can to be like the biblical view of the age of the earth. Yeah, and again, just to, to stress, this is stuff that we're seeing throughout history that we're talking tonight in favor of where, where we would land. But I, I would say that, you know, we should see in history as it wobbles. Um, you know, when did it start going? Like, you know, you mm -hmm. still have the people that still hold yeah I to these things well but said, then Adam. you know like how about whenever when did when do you see the church in history being more um in consensus on more of an older earth or um, that sort of position yeah so it's actually really hard to trace exactly when the position changes predominantly within the churches and i think the reason why it's probably as difficult as it is is because it was taken as a given mm. for such a long time that scripture's true Although scripture doesn't specifically tell us this is the this is the start of the earth, this is the year, this is the day. Scripture doesn't tell us that, but you can trace the genealogies and figure it out from there. I think it was taken as a given for such a long time that when you do encounter those who deny, you know, that the earth was created by God, for example, within the church, well, nobody's going to listen to them because the church does not hold to that. I honestly think from my research that it really begins to change with the rise of Darwin 
He really does seem to be embraced by the church during that period. And it really begins to flip then around the 1920s, I think. And I, I think the reason for this actually is because people began to waver on the sufficiency and the inerrancy of scripture in general. Yeah, so yeah. Darwin combined with that was just sort of the perfect storm to allow people to begin to say, well, maybe God did create everything, but maybe you know, this evolution thing can be applied to it. So maybe what we have is theistic evolution. God creates things and then hands off. He's back. He's away from everything. And it's difficult to really figure out where exactly does that happen. I would say late 1800s, early 1900s in particular is where the view begins to really change as the theory of evolution really takes serious root and you have your mainline denominations picking it up and saying this is true. That's mm -hmm. where you see people beginning to change their minds and embrace not only an old earth view, right? But an unbiblical view. Yeah. And j just as an inside, let me add this too. I grew up Roman Catholic. And for the first 10 years of my life, I had Roman Catholic Bibles and everything else. And I still have one here in my office. I keep it nearby just so I can look at it every now and again. You know, it's got the Apocrypha in it and all that. But what interests me is that if you look at the the front of that Bible where they, they write their whole spiel from the Pope, whoever the Pope was at that time. One of the things he writes within the opening of the Bible is that we can embrace science. And what he means by that is we can embrace evolution because the Old Testament in particular is myth. It's myth. Mm. So we don't really have to believe it. And their, their evidence in that is the story of Jonah, right? Mm. Jonah being swallowed by a great big fish for three days is no way that it can scientifically be proven, they say. So we don't have to accept that. It's just a myth. And he goes on to say then from there that the book of Genesis doesn't have to be really believed either because you have to understand its context. It's being written to ancient people. And it actually says we have more science than they do today. So we don't have to accept that God created everything in six literal days. We don't have to accept a young age of the earth. We just don't have to believe those things. But the reason for that is because notice what they did before that. It's a myth. It's not sufficient. Mm. It's not authoritative. So that's really where the damage lies, I think, is once you have people denying the sufficiency and the inerrancy and the inspiration of scripture. It just causes me to think about, like, you're familiar with the fundamentals uh, that were written around the turn of the century. And that that is why the, the battle for the Bible is such mm -hmm. an important thing, because what happens when you when you run away from that or when you uh, begin to surrender passages or statements, there's a, it, it's not just one passage. It's a mm -hmm. domino effect. And so, if you walk into a liberal denomination today and you say, I believe in a biblical view of the history of creation, a biblical historical view of creation, they'll laugh you out, mm -hmm. right? If you go up to Central Baptist Theological Seminary there in Kansas City, you, you, I don't know if you know, there's a, there's a very liberal college there in, uh, a liberal seminary there in Kansas City as well. Uh, their chapel is about uh, the size of a... Uh, uh, 
half of a garage, right? I mean, that's how that really is. I, I went in there. I was on their campus checking out their library a few years ago. And we're talking about about six years ago, something like that. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go check out their chapel. I was I was using their library because they're supposed to have a really good historical library. Midwesterns is a billion times better now uh, than theirs. I mean, really, it's a whole lot better. But it was supposed to be this great library. So I go there and I was trying to do some research. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to check out the chapel. This is an old historical seminary like it. It is. It existed before Midwestern, and the the little library was tiny, right? Mm -hmm. Why was that? And you think, well, that's a silly little thing, because once you start submitting a verse of scripture, two verses of scripture, a chapter of scripture, a book of the Bible, the pieces keep falling. And so, to me, this is such an important thing, and I and I love that you connected that, and I, and I think that that's probably that's a good little piece as you move into your PhD program in apologetics at Midwestern. You, there's your your dissertation on uh, when did we leave the biblical view of, of the age of the earth? Um, but uh, so well said. Yeah, I this mean, is the tag yeah. you're at. So we tag back and forth. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting here, just going, yeah. I think. I mean. We've hit it. We've hit it. Good enough for a podcast, anyway. I mean, that's we could go for a long time. We could write a book, on, yeah. you know, whatever um, on, on this issue. Um, but yeah, whenever we we have left it, we're dealing with like uh, the venues um, here in town, which is a church that would say it's all a myth and stuff like that. And you know, whenever Jesus says, "Here's here's where the rubber meets the road," Jesus says, um, "You know, the scripture can't be broken." He proves himself from the Old Testament. Paul says. Um, that the Old Testament grapha, the scriptures of the Old Testament, are the ones that make one wise to salvation, um, that are that make us complete, sufficient for every good work for our lives, all that stuff. Um, th to say that that's a myth, you know, then you've lost Jesus. Like, that's who right. is Jesus exactly. then? And and you know, where do you arbitrarily go? Because you still want to hold on to Jesus somehow. You want those red letters, right? But those red letters are meaningless. Um, you right. know, if he's the one that created the world from the very beginning, and we know in the New Testament, it was Jesus. Yeah, Jesus was there at the letting the captives out of Egypt. So, Amen. Yeah. Connect us with that last little drive home piece. At why this? How is this a gospel issue? I mean, again, I, I do. I completely believe. I'm not going to reject someone because they're an old earther, right? I love right. Ted Cable, who used to teach at Southern. He's an old earther, right? Uh, his book, um, Controversy of the Ages, might be worth something looking into. I know yeah. you're a big reader, um, but, but how is this a gospel issue? I mean, Adam just kind of set, set us up for that, but kind of drive home this last little piece of how does this touch on the gospel, and, and why should a pastor or a missionary actually be able to, to know some of this information? Where's the application piece? I would say that the reason why it connects so deeply to the gospel, why it's such a serious issue is what Ray Ray already said, that if you deny, you know, the creation, then you've already lost Jesus. Mm -hmm. You've denied Christ. You can't deny scripture from page one and then think, well, I can go ahead and I can accept this. You can't, you can't cherry pick what you're going to believe. Either all of it's true, or as you said earlier, it's a domino effect. The whole thing falls down. So, yeah. like you said, we don't reject those who believe in an old earth, but still uphold the sufficiency of scripture. They believe the true gospel. We don't reject them by any means, but I think they're on shaky ground. I think they're on really shaky ground, really dangerous territory, because once you say, well, you know what? The genealogies, take them or leave them. 
the creation account of Genesis one, take it or leave it. Once you say that yeah. you can go anywhere. And I think you're ready for a really bold statement that will probably get me into trouble, but I'll say it anyway. I think you deny, let me use this phrase again. You deny young earth. You deny the young earth. You deny that God created the earth. And it's really not all that long before you've embraced LGBTQ plus stuff. It's not too long until you've embraced, embraced critical race theory and everything else. Why? Because you've already denied one domino yeah. and the sufficiency of scripture and everything else is going to fall. So pastors, theologians, missionaries, it's a great deal to be able to defend this, to be able to know this because people are asking, is it still an issue today? It's still a problem. It's not going away. It's going to be more of an issue. And mm -hmm. you know, the Bible calls us to be men. Mm -hmm. We're not called to be effeminate closet dwellers. Can I use that language that just sort of hide from everything? <laughs> You're welcome on our wanna, show, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to deal with any of these issues. And I think that's what happens to a lot of Christians. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Christian men, a lot of Christian pastors, they're so afraid of, well, people are going to make fun of me. People are going to throw tantrums at me. And they're not going to take me seriously. So what? It's the word of God. We got to believe what the word of God says and stand firmly yeah. upon the word of God. Yeah, and that goes with Vadi Bakum, and I hope he uh, had fun at your church saying, you know, talking about the 11th commandment that he continues uh -huh. to be well known for is uh, we don't have to be nice. We can still be gentle. We can still be mm -hmm. respectful. And I think uh, Lando Calrissian in the uh, Solo movie, like it's one of those like, I don't like it, uh, but I'm in for it. You know, so it's that same sort of attitude. You can be gentle. You can be respectful, but right. you don't have to be nice. Um, God hasn't called us to be nice when it comes to rejecting his word, uh, being in rebellion. Like God's not nice to that. So, you know, now we can't use that for an occasion to, to help us sin and feel good about right. it. No, but you know, like we have to stand up. We have to stop being embarrassed. I think Josh Dinkins, um, at the God, at the God and government conference, you know, talking about the law, I think we've gotten away from that because we are embarrassed for some reason. Mm -hmm, about right. the law you know and because we have now instead of being a servant of god we are pleasers of men if we are pleasers of men then you know the term effeminate ends up becoming very um poignant because we become passive right so we cannot be passive we have to play more offense knowing that we have the gospel which is jesus christ which is our defense before the father right. that hates sin so if jesus can defend us between it can stand between us and god's wrath why can't jesus stand between us and the world mm -hmm. and that's apologetics amen that's mr excellent. tanner Go so grateful to have you uh so when we close out our show we always close it out with the solas and we say our names he'll say he's ray ray i'll say i'm dave you'll say you're jacob and then he'll, you'll say Sola, I'll say Deo, and he'll say Gloria, and that'll close us out. But don't end this call, because there is something that I want to invite yeah. you to here uh, right after we close out okay. the podcast. So, with that said, I'm Dave. And I'm Ray Ray, and we've got... I'm Jacob. And... Sola. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.